He loved us. Yeah, He loved us and, and washed us from our sins in his, by His own blood or through His own blood. Let's go ahead and turn together. To uh, Leviticus 19. We are continuing our study of systematic theology. Uh, using John Frame's uh, work here just as an outline and a springboard for our discussion. Leviticus 19. Leviticus, I believe the second most quoted book of the Bible in the New Testament. Uh, I want to zero in on this. Verse 2. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord, your God, am holy. So we have talked about the theme of the Scriptures. And what is the theme of the Scriptures? Jesus is, or God is Lord. He is Lord. Uh, Jesus is Lord in the New Testament, the Shema there in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Uh, there is only one Lord overall, and that's God. This is the theme of the scriptures. If you were to look for the, the, the most prevalent theme of, from Genesis to Revelation, it shows up explicitly one out of every five verses in the entire scriptures that he's Lord. Uh, almost 21% of every verse in the, of, of, of all the verses in scriptures explicitly declare him to be Lord. And uh, that's not counting the implicit, such as uh, the book of Esther, who does not name the name, of, the name of the Lord one time, but you cannot read it without seeing the truth that He is Lord. And we talked about what that meant. He, ha- he is in control, He has authority, and He is present uh, in all things. And that's what, that's, those are what uh, John Frame called the Lordship attributes, His control, His authority, his presence. So we have expounded on that to begin to talk about him as Lord. And we've talked about his acts and what we know from his acts. Well, he decreed, uh, he created, he has, he has shown his lordship in the providence of all things where he is literally working all things for good to them that love him, and through his miracles, the, the, the uh, special acts by which he has displayed his lordship. And then we started on his attributes. The acts are what he did, his attributes are what he is, and what the scriptures assert him to be, such as God is love. Uh, that, that's uh, th- things that are predicated of God, uh, attributed to God to be what He is. Um, 
we started with the attribute of his goodness, and under that umbrella we talked about his grace, his common grace, his special grace. We talked about his love, his, his benevolence, his compassion, things of that nature. And uh, I hope that you all have had a... Uh, I hope that it's been fruitful as we've gone through that. I want to talk about today his righteousness... or His holiness. And I'm just writing these because these will be the theme of what we're introducing today. His righteousness and His holiness. Uh, as, we, as we saw here in, in Leviticus 19, the holiness of God is predicated of Himself. He says, I am holy. Uh, so this is an important aspect um, of the character of God. So, this also, like goodness, falls into the general sphere of the ethical nature of God, if we could, if we could use that word. God's righteousness is a form of His goodness. Um, and it raises different issues um, that requires us to explore different themes uh, but but there is a relationship, and this is going to raise some bigger issues than you and I were were forced to think about as we thought about God being good, uh, God's benevolence. God gives to the good and to the evil. He he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. In a sense, he loves the entire world and and does bene- benevolent things and draws them in his mercy and then in an even greater way. Um, then we can even expound upon in words. But when we're talking about His righteousness, we have to start exploring great, uh, uh, themes that are not necessarily comfortable for us, such as God's wrath, His jealousy, His hatred. Does God hate? Are there some things that God hates? These six things does the Lord hate, and seven are abomination to uh, uh, to Him. Are there things that God despises that He that He that He uh, uh, cannot stand? If you would, if you want to put it in the modern vernacular. So when we get into the subject of His righteousness, we are exploring greater themes than simply um, what He does in His benevolence. In fact, we we are we are moving more into the, uh, what we would call the authority cell of, um, of His Lordship when we're looking at this, um, as we move from goodness to righteousness, that is. God acts according to His perfect internal standard. So when we're speaking of righteousness, we're speaking of what God is and why God Acts is because he's just, he is righteous, he is holy. All his actions are limited by his nature. Uh, he, is, as a just God, will do justly. He, as a righteous God, will do righteously. Or as Abraham, when, when, when speaking of God about the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? 
So this is that standard. This is, this is that, that thing, and we're not trying to differentiate God and like part of Him is this, part of Him is that God is one. Uh, this is the idea, the simplicity of God. But this is that nature of God that limits Himself. It is the standard by which right and wrong is judged. Righteousness uh, is the form, the structure, if you would, of God's goodness. His goodness is the concrete, active embodiment of His, right, of his righteousness, uh, according to John Frame here. So, there's also, a, when we're looking at His righteousness, we're not making this distinct from His goodness. Um, to say that God is good is to say that God is righteous. Uh, and to say that God is righteous is to say that God is good. Uh, the, the, these are not really distinct ideas necessarily uh, to us. Um, and we also have to realize what it says about His nature. When the Bible speaks of God as being righteous, uh, we're not saying that there is a righteous law that is above God that causes God to fall into some kind of conformity to that righteous law. That's not not what we're saying. We're saying that this is God's nature in and of itself. Um, uh, So... It's not merely also, as we can just consider some opening remarks, um, not merely as an authoritative standard, it's, it's not just God lording over us, but it is also an act of power and salvation. God, God does not save contrary to His righteousness. And, and this, this is an important point for us to get. When you're, when you're discussing, for instance, salvation according to Paul in the book of Romans, it's not against his righteousness that he saves sinners it's according to his righteousness that he saves sinners and we even to the point where we get to the most to the to the oddest statement of all that he is just he is just to forgive sins as it says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 so righteousness is an active force or an active quality of the salvation that our god provides in other words, says Frame, righteousness, like goodness, uh, is an act, it can itself be an active, dynamic benevolence, not just a static structure of benevolence. It's not just what he was, but it is an active part of what he does, uh, if that makes sense. And just like love, when we're considering, we, we talked about how this relates ethically to what we do. Uh, we are good because He is good. We are, we are loving because He is loving. We are giving because He is giving. We are benevolent in that sense. But so it is with righteousness um, that it is, becomes the standard for our behavior, so much so that when we consider, uh, that when we consider the outworking of this, like love, uh, it is supposed to be the character that we put on. We remember when we discussed love. He says, "You shall know; they shall know that you're my disciples because of my love, your love one for another." And we're going to see that same truth about righteousness. So it describes God's dynamic actions to save His people, and serves as a standard for conduct for His people. 
So uh, I hope that made sense here so far. So let's, let's jump into this. So what does righteousness tell us about God? Well, it tells us that He is personal, right? We serve not an impersonal force. Uh, we're not talking about Star Wars here, <laughs> amen? We're not trying to use the force. We're not talking about some kind of pantheistic, impersonal deity. You can't say of a rock or the wind or a pendulum swinging that that is a righteous pendulum or a good pendulum uh, or, or something of that nature. Uh, you can't say, well, that, 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 that rock is righteous. It, that rock is inanimate. It's impersonal. These are personal attributes. These are things that we ascribe to persons. Like, I would say, Thomas is a good man, right? Uh, I'm just using you as an example. I'm not really saying you're good. <laughs> There's none righteous, right? Uh, no, I'm joking. He is a good guy. Um, so, I would say, uh, I, would say I believe uh, Savannah is righteous. I would not, I, I can, those are personal attributes, righteous in, in, in a relative sense. But we would not say those of inanimate objects. Also, we would say that he is interpersonal. I always want to ask the same question I ask my Jehovah's Witness friends when they come to the door, which by the way, they are back out knocking on doors now, so... Uh, uh, they, they took a two-and-a-half-year break during COVID, so, but now they're back out. And I, and I see them parked all over the Jehovah's Witness place right next to me. Um, but the, same, the, very, the very first thing I ask of my Jehovah's Witness friends is I go to the aspect of love. Love is a personal, a personal thing, right? It's a personal attribute. When we say God is love, we are speaking of, of a personal thing. We don't describe a rock as loving or things of that nature. Um, did God, but the thing we go to with Jehovah's Witnesses is also interpersonal. Uh, who did God love before He created? Right? <laughs> love, it's, love insinuates that there is a subject, object, relationship. Right? It insinuates a relational aspect to God. God did not need to create in order to begin to love. He loved before He created. So when we're speaking of righteousness, we speak of the same thing. Not only is it personal, it is interpersonal. Being righteous insinuates the very subject-object relationship that love does. It it insinuates the very relational aspect of God that love does. To be righteous is to be in a right relationship with X, right? That's what it means to be righteous. Who was God in a right relationship with before He created? Now, we don't have a problem with this, do we, as Christians? Because we have the Father the Son, the Holy Spirit, who loved each other from one another, 
uh, from, from all, well, loved one another from all eternity, was good from all eternity, was righteous from all eternity, was holy from all eternity. That is our God. Uh, there are three carrying, bearing one name, and that name's Lord, that name's Yahweh. There are, there are three that we attribute the works of God to, creation, the upholding of all things, that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So it tells us, just like it did with love, about the personal and interpersonal nature of, God, of the one true God. Now don't, don't ask me to, to, uh, to give some kind of type or, or picture of the Trinity because then I'll fall into some kind of heresy. Uh, but because how do you describe God? How do you describe the nature of God? Uh, but, but it's important for us to see both the personal and interpersonal relationships that exist here as we talk about these very things. Now, let's get into this term righteousness. I, I'm not going to erase it. I, if I start writing, for one, I have this small board up here, and I'm not even sure anybody can even see it, but I write, it on any, I write on anything. It's just for me because I've gotten used to writing stuff, and that's really about all. It, it helps me to turn around and write something on the board as I'm talking about it. So I'll try to, I'll try to get away from it. Um, now, the Hebrew word, and the, which I have a hard time pronouncing, I'm working on my Hebrew to get better at it, but tzedek, and the Greek word is dikaisune, these words are translated righteous, or they're often also translated justice or lawfulness. And especially in the Greek, I, I know a lot, I'm a lot more uh, proficient at the Greek than I am the Hebrew. When you're reading, when you're reading uh, about righteousness, boy, my ears just pop. That's gonna let me try to pop them back, or else I'm gonna get dizzy or something. Uh, but, but when you're reading, I mean, there are times where you run into the word that we translate righteous that it is more fitting to translate as justice and so on. So what, 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 what is it when we're talking about righteousness? The term is, the term is forensic in nature. Uh, and what do we mean by forensic in nature? Any of you all watching NCIS or anything else like that? Therefore, we talk about forensic science and things of that nature. Well, it's, it's in the sphere of the law. It's in, in the sphere of the courtroom, if you would. And, of course, that, that when, when we're talking about our unrighteousness, which is what Paul was doing in the very first three chapters of Romans, uh, where, he was, where he was bringing us before the, God, uh, the, the bar of God's justice and showing us that we were not good, that we were not righteous before the standard of God's uh, law. And, and the standard of his, of his uh, nature. Uh, so, so, um, so that, that so it's a it, it's a it, when we use the word, it has a forensic uh, uh, meaning to it, uh, in which one advocates or defends one's behavior according to a standard. Th th this is why. Um, well, I'd lost my place here. I don't. This is why, and I forgot where I was going with it. Um, God's relation is 
to us is inevitably in that vein. Uh, we stand before him and he's the standard. Uh, I think I got myself kicked out of the uh, treatment center <laughs> for talking about this very thing because um, I encouraged uh, my friends as they, as they were doing their step work that when they do their fierce moral inventory, which they are supposed to do according to the 12 steps, that they don't compare themselves with each other or with their neighbor, but they compare themselves with God and before God and what God says He is and what God has commanded according to His nature. Because unless we're willing to do that, we are not ascertaining a true picture of ourselves before His bar of justice, before His righteousness, if you would. Uh, so, so when we're talking about His righteousness and our relationship to Him, uh, we are talking about it in that aspect. We stand before Him uh, and are, are judged in that sphere of, of, his, of, his, uh, of his law. And his, um, so it's that forensic side that, it, that becomes important. Our God, said Frame, makes demands of us. He expects us to act according to the standards and therefore to be righteous. That is an expectation for everyone to be righteous. And I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm talking about when we are judging, when we are judging ourselves according to God's word, God has made His will known because He's made His natures known. He's made Himself known, and that is the standard by which we are judged. We are judged every man according to his works or deeds, right? Uh, he, he, even at the final judgment, the great white throne of Revelation chapter 20, the books are open and every man is judged according to his works. There is an expectation and there is a knowledge in every person that they're supposed to do right. So, liberal theologians have sometimes sought to eliminate the law from relationships. Uh, thinking that it conflicts with the biblical emphasis of love. And that's really where we're at, and we're going to, just, we're going to get back into sexuality here in the, section, uh, the second hour. And, uh, but that's really where we're at, uh, that, that if we say this ought to be done instead of that, that somehow we are, we are eliminating or failing to properly emphasize the God of love. And that is, that, that is far from the truth uh, Paul himself says, uh, how did he say it? He said, uh, um, to, the law, to those that are without the law, I'm without the law. And then he has the parentheses here, something here, right? Not without the law, unto God, un, uh, not without the law but, un, but unto the law of Christ or something. I, I'm failing to, I'm failing to... Uh, uh, state that right, and someone correct me here, I'm quoting it wrong. Not that we are without the law, but under the law unto Christ, or something to that effect. You all get what I'm saying there in, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, but, um, but the law and righteousness permeates the Scriptures. Love itself requires what? Obedience. If you love me, all right, if you love me, keep my commandments. So, so to teach that somehow love rescues us from any 
obedience to what God has declared His nature to be and His will to be, as expressed through His law, is anti-gospel. There's a reason why we call it, uh, call it antinomian, antinomianism, uh, against the law. It's, it's, it's rebellious in nature to take such a stance. So, uh, again, we, we should note uh, when we're going through the Scriptures that those words that are, that are translated righteous are also often translated justice. And the English uh, doesn't necessarily make a difference in these things. And uh, he may, Frame makes a note here, righteousness comes from the German root, uh, which, which means justice. Or righteous comes from the German root and justice from the Latin root. In the English, right and righteous tend to apply more to individuals and, just, and justice tend to apply more to institutions, societies, rulers, and things. We talk about a just society. I know when you, if you ever listen to NPR, they'll, they'll talk about the, the something foundation uh, for, for a just and equitable society or something like that. But that is, that is a generalization that is not necessarily uh, so in the Scriptures. Um, the Hebrew and Greek terms can include, said frame, any of these nuances depending on the context. Um, the Hebrew word judgment can sometimes be translated justice uh, and things of that nature and, and sometimes even righteousness. Now, let's get into his righteousness because I feel like I'm floundering up here uh, and, and spinning my wheels so we need to start moving forward and actually going somewhere. So, I want to get in more into the scriptures. Now, theologians have often talked about his righteousness in a twofold way. They would talk about his, the, his internal righteousness, his moral excellence, um, and then his external righteousness, that is uh, his conduct, where he is legislative, he gives laws that reflect his internal righteousness, and he is distributive. He gives rewards and punishments based upon his righteousness. So, so, uh, the, so that, that's kind of the way theologians have necessarily broken this down. Um, Frame here talks about it in a different way. He says that there is the existential truth of God's moral excellence, the quality of His own character and actions, uh, what God is. God is righteous. God is, God is good. God is those things. There is the normative aspect whereby God's own standards for Himself and creation, um, which includes uh, His giving of laws and things of that nature. And then there's the situational aspect in which He... Uh, rewards and punishes and things of that nature. Uh, so we're just going to deal with that first part here. So as God, let's, let's try to ascertain what we mean by righteousness. I got ahead of myself a little bit, and I want to backtrack a little and talk about God being righteous in His very nature. A God, we know right and wrong because God has revealed Himself 
to us. He has revealed His standards. He has revealed His deeds. He has revealed Himself through mostly His law. And like I said, His law is not an arbitrary thing. It's based on His nature. So when, so, um, so when, when someone says, well, I just never read the Old Testament, well, it's good that you do because what you're seeing in the Old Testament is the foundation by which we understand the importance of the Savior in the New Testament. Um, Because in the Old Testament, specifically in the giving of the law and in the long-suffering He had with sinful people throughout the Old Testament, we understand who God is, His righteous and holy nature. So it's important for us to do that. And like I said a second ago, what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is not this law above us, or above, not above us, but above Him. Like here's God and above Him are these righteous standards that are just out there floating around, like um, pantheism or uh, the law of karma that uh, Eastern mysticism says rules all things. This impersonal law of karma is not, a, is not personal and it's not interpersonal like our God is. It's not able to judge. It's not able to differentiate. There is no right and wrong with the law of karma, and there can't be. But So so there isn't just floating law out there, and God exists under this floating, impersonal law, and that's what righteousness is. So that's that's, that's, uh, important for us to understand. Nor is righteousness something that God created. As this would mirror what we would call a nominalism in philosophy, that it's just something that you know, something that God gave a, created and gave a name to, uh, and hence it could change based upon uh, God's will. God could uh, say this is wrong, and then change his mind and say this is right, and so on and so forth. It's not a mutable, changing thing that God created. Uh, It is, so it's not karmistic, is a word I'll use for it, and it's not nominalistic, it is theistic. And what I mean by that is, it is simply Himself. Righteousness is a synonymous term with God, it is, his, it is His very nature, and therefore it is how God acts. It is how God behaves. It is His moral standard is Himself. Righteousness, therefore, is His desire, His pleasure. It's His being. Does that make sense so far? I, 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 I'm trying to say it in the, in the clearest terms possible so we can wrap our mind around what it means that God is righteous. So it's not this thing above God, karmistic. It's not this thing below God, nominalistic. It's theistic. It is God. So from there, we ascertain... That as God relates specifically to the world, uh, God relates so righteously. Now, when we're comparing 
what we mean by us being righteous and what it means for God to be righteous, we realize that that is not a perfect one. It's not, we, we, it's not something uh, equivocal uh, or univocal uh, is the term I'm looking for. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not equitative. It's not the same. For instance, um, for instance, God has rights that you and I don't. Amen? Uh, for instance, He can take human life. You can't. Now, he has delegated that to uh, governmental authorities to do, to bear a sword. Uh, But really, when it comes to us as individuals and God, he has a right to take life. We do not. Um, He has a right to act autonomously. We never do. We must always act under his authority and and his lordship. But for the most part, uh, when we talk about righteousness as it applies to us, just like we saw with love, just like we saw with goodness, it is something you and I are supposed to imitate. He made us in His image. And by the way, when it says we're created in God's image, that is not just supposed to be what we are, it's supposed to inform what we do. Okay? It's, it's not just existential, it is behavioral, behavioristic. It, it, it has a telos. It has purpose for us to be created. Just like an acorn has everything in it uh, to make an oak tree, and it's pointed in that direction. You, created in the image of God, you with a soul, have a purpose to behave as if you were a representative of God. Uh, you, are the, you, you are created in His image and are to be like Him in that sense. And I'm not talking about in some kind of new age, well, I'm God and I'll figure out, you know, I, 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 I told you about that time I sat in that really weird state-funded uh, uh, meeting where you have 500 plus people all in saying in a mantra together, we are co-creators with God, we are our own gods, we are, and it's like crazy, man. Uh, you are not God, but you are to be like Him. You are to imitate Him in His love, His goodness, and His righteousness. That's the telos, the purpose, the end for which you are. Amen? All right. So, so uh, we, we are to be put in His image. We, we sinned, of course. That image is marred in us. It's been so. Adam beget a child, and the child after was, was after his own likeness. His own sinful likeness. Uh, we all sinned in Adam. We are all fallen in Adam. We've all died in Adam. And hence we're dead in trespasses and sins. But... The main principle of the law is still there. We just read it. What does he say to Israel? Be you holy. Why? For I am holy. There's there's the reason. The Ten Commandments given to Israel was to be a lifestyle uh, as a suitable response to God's deliverance. I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt, he says in Exodus 20. Therefore, don't have any other gods before you. Therefore, don't do this, don't do that, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet. Um, Even down to, uh, 
imitating God in the law, specifically in the law, he worked six days and he rested the seventh. What are we supposed to do, therefore? Work six days, rest the seventh. Uh, uh, well, he, he cared about Israel and their bondage and delivered them to give, to give rest to them. So therefore, they ought to give rest to their families, their, their servants, their animals. How God conducts himself towards us is how we conduct ourselves. Even in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, Sermon on the Mount, he ends that, says, Be ye therefore perfect. Why? For he's perfect. And Peter applies this uh, Leviticus 19.2 uh, specifically to us as Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. Why should we go about doing righteous works? Because God is holy. That's why. And as Christians, we even more so are to put on His character. After all, the, the image of His Son is we are, we're being conformed to the image of His Son. Uh, he has we are to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, what He commands of us is what He Himself is and does. And we mimic that. So whether it be the historical pattern of work and rest, whether it be the covenants and our respect and honesty, uh, whether it's uh, the loving of life, whether it's fidelity, whether it's, all, uh, whether it's respect of ownership and, and secondary ownership and things uh, regarding stealing and killing and, uh, and adultery and all those things, we are just simply reflecting the image of our God, the image of the Son. So these aren't just arbitrary things that are hanging out there. These are realities of us in the image of God. He loves truth, we love truth. He loves purity, we love purity, and so on and so forth. This is, this, this is, uh, the, this is the thrust of the law. So, so when you're reading... Or even when you're reading the holiness codes in Leviticus or you're reading the Ten Commandments, you're not just reading some arbitrary thing. You are reading something of the nature and will and pleasure of God. Amen? I, I hope, I'm hoping I'm making, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not muddying the waters here. Um, uh, they instruct us about His character, uh, His character, His purposes, and even His penalties. Uh, uh, are, are telling to us what is an eye for an eye what is a tooth for a tooth what, what, what is this uh, uh, Italian sense of the law but a sense that our God's fair and should we not be fair in our dealings with others and so on so forth um, uh, I'm going to skip this because we need to come to a, to a, cl a close there, 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 is, there is justice in this sense uh, and we are to work to be just in this sense. And I, I know we're not going to see this perfectly in this world, especially in this fallen world. And that's part, of the, uh, it's part of the reason our hope can never be in this world is because it doesn't seem like there will ever be justice. And, I mean, there will never be justice so as long as sinful men are ruling. But, but, uh, but that doesn't preclude us from being just ourselves having a just weight and measure, not having one measure that, we, that one set of scales that we pull out for our friends and then another 
for others. Not judging ourselves by one standard and judging someone else by another, because that's not our God. He is no respecter of persons. So it's important for us to see, see, see that, and I know I keep saying that phrase about it being important. Hopefully you all do. Um, uh, uh, this, this is how Jesus Christ himself summed up uh, the law and the prophets. But consider, consider just, just going back to the, uh, the attributive nature of this. We sing that song sometimes. He is a rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Deuteronomy 32.4. Uh, Psalm uh, 92 and uh, verse, verse 15. To show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Or as John would say, he is a light and in him is no darkness at all. Not even the least bit. Or Psalm 145 verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and good in all of his works. All his judgments are right. We have a standard. He has revealed Himself to the world. He has made Himself known in His law to be that highest standard of goodness. Um, and we'll quit there. Uh, any questions, complaints, or grievances? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, you were going right where I was thinking. Where, mm -hmm. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Uh, I mean, in, in fact, it says there, and I just quoted this a second ago, part of it. It says, uh, this then is the message that you have heard and declare unto you that God is light in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... There are people out there that say, I'm right with God and have no intention of doing right and doing what He said is right. There's a problem there. Amen? His, uh, his, his, uh, his righteousness, I, I mean, we, I, I, could, I could weep when I think of some of my loved ones saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm I'm a Christian. They got the moniker. They put up. They put. They they got the name Christian name tag on. 
And uh, they're walking in darkness, purposefully walking in darkness with no intention of repenting, no intention of, con- of conforming to the righteous nature and, and, uh, of God uh, or walking after him. It's, it's a sad, sad, sad thing. Yes, you're, I keep interrupting. Well, maybe may we have a soft heart towards the conviction of the Holy Spirit in all things. All right, well, let's go ahead and stop there. Uh, we got about ten minutes before the second hour.